We're going to go ahead and move into our study right now. We're picking it up where we left off in 2 Samuel. We move through the books of the Bible. We take on every chapter. We don't hop over anything, nor do we dwell purposely just because it's the thing to do. It is interesting, though, because one of the themes from last week's teaching emphasized this thing that David did was displeasing to the Lord. We emphasize this thing, displeasing to the Lord. And what very often happens is where we're at is where somebody's at or where we've all been. And so following the service, there was a compelling person that had to uh, get to me and to share that the Lord had spoken to them. And we um, marveled at how the Lord had spoken to them and prayed for that person. And so the Lord does speak to us. The question is, are we listening? And then the other question would be, are we responding? I can hear the word of the Lord, but dismiss it, not respond to it. Remember, one of the things that I was emphasizing last week is that I do not like examinations. I just don't. Good news for me. My twin brother informed me as I saw him the previous, no, he gave me a call just helping to keep me up on gym. But he said, Rich, I'm going in for my every three-year military checkup. Oh, great. Are they going to check you out? Yeah, everything. Would you let me know how I did? <laughs> the timing was perfect. It's totally God's will that I use my brother to tell me how good I'm doing. I'm such a coward. <laughs> so I'll let you know how I'm doing. You know, hopefully there's a hair regrowth in process and, you know, things are going to be hippie again for me. But uh, I chide with you, but I, I tell you that it is a fear I have. Uh, my sister in law, as we were talking about my other brothers needing blood pressure medication, she said, How are you doing on your blood pressure? I said, I was doing great before you mentioned it. Why do you ask? Well, I just happened to have a blood pressure cuff in my drawer. Who carries a blood pressure cuff in their suitcase? It's okay, Rich. This is the one that just wraps around your wrist. It doesn't matter. You've already created high blood pressure in me. And you'll probably then want to take me to the hospital. Yes, if you have high blood pressure. <laughs> so she cuffed me. I've been cuffed. <laughs> I can honestly say that. And she started doing it. And of course, you know, I'm feeling it and just going, oh, my word. Well, then she says, oh, my goodness, it looks like you're ready to have a stroke. Don comes around, my second oldest brother, he goes, Karen, you're misreading that. You got the numbers wrong on that one. Okay, all right, I did misread that. But it's a little bit high. I'm good with a little bit high, but not with a little bit to the hospital right now. So we deal with fears. But the bottom line is, we will be examined one day. That's the point that I'm making. I cannot bypass the examination that God ultimately will have for me as I stand before, not the great white throne, but the Bema seat, the seat of rewards. What, Richard, have you brought now into account that is worthy of rewards. And it's not him being stingy. It's not God being mean to me. 
the things that I do on earth count to ultimately what we receive, what I'll receive in heaven. So that's why even in one of the things that I was being sentimentally touched by in the photo of Jim looking, it was really as if he was looking right at me. Not judgmenting, but I, I honestly think it was like, good job, Rich. What I told you and challenged you with at 16, you're doing well. Because he was the guy that said, what are you doing for Jesus? And I got a little bit irritated with him, to say the least. Not knowing that 15 years later, I would actually be doing things for Jesus. So getting back to where we're at right now, 2 Samuel, let's report in for duty and to see what the Lord would have to share with us with regard to this closing of an exhortative word by Nathan the prophet who had visited David, who had trouble for at least a year in being examined by the Lord and his heart. He had transgressed is what had happened, as you recall. We did for two weeks on a theme which was simply this, sin makes no sense, C-E-N-T-S, meaning it's not a good investment, doesn't pay you back. Quite the contrary. It leads you into greater debt and ultimately devastation. The second area, which is where we were at as well, it kind of was in line with it, but that God is working and has been working in your life preemptively, meaning in advance of arrowing or sinning, transgressing, he intends to beat the enemy to snaring you. That was the idea on the preemptive language that we used. But last week, when Nathan was confronting David, we were talking about the redemptive heart of God to save us from ultimately the consequence of sin meaning that there is a consequence to sin. God wants us to be knowing that he loves us. He'll see us through it. What do we have to do? We have to turn from it. And so the third part of this, which really is already having been concluded, is what then does God allow in order for us to have the assurance that in the way that we have been, in the way that we continue to go, he is going to be faithful in what he intends to do, and that's to put us right on track with his will, to be pleasing to him. And so this is what we looked at, and you have looked at it before, as the disciplining hand of the Lord. We want to look at that in what may be termed correctly. Correctively, he works. Preemptively, he tries to beat you before the enemy does redemptively to save you when the consequence has been imposed and as well to correct you that it might not happen again but it does right we have had weeks in which we go yep the same thing happened again i chose to not obey the lord so we're going to look at some scriptures pertinent to that but we're also going to make certain that we understand when David had received the corrective word from Nathan was pronounced that he would not die, God was not going to take him in a judgment, but rather let him know that there was going to be a hard life that would be following. That's also God working. You see, when, when we're aware that 
what we did does have a cost or an effect, we can bolster ourselves up for that. It's kind of like for those of us that have been athletically inclined, <clears throat> when we're getting ready to hit the gridiron or the basketball court or the track, we realize there's going to be a toll on our bodies. The problem is, is that we've entered in by a foreknowledge, this is what's required. I'm gonna get potentially beaten up on that scrimmage line. I'm going to potentially uh, have my lungs burn and aches in my legs and arms if you're a runner. Some people that are baseball fans, I wasn't a good enough baseball player, but you very often wonder, who's that pitcher aiming for? Is it, you know, that strike zone or is he aiming for my brains? That's why I didn't like baseball. All the practicing pitchers, I was the one they practiced on. And it wasn't how close they could get it over the home plate. It was how close they could get it to my brain. And I had too many of those. So Nathan right now has given the report of the Lord. And this is what he said, simply this. However, because by this deed, verse 14 of chapter 12 in 2 Samuel, you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. As Nathan came as a picture of the Holy Spirit to convict David of what he had not yet confessed, he departs after rendering the truth and conveying to David the course of his life. What we do know and what I want to look at for encouragement is to hear what this man's heart cried out to pen poetically. So if you would... You can leave your, you know, page marked, but I would like you to turn to Psalm 32, and then we will see how David's heart was touched by the Lord. He was a songwriter. You know, by the way, when we were up at the hospital, they have a ministry team, and there's at least three of them, I believe, that tour each room of those who are infirmed and who are passing and they play beautiful music on the harp. And I was touched deeply by this harpist who was then closing off of one of his songs. What was the song that he sang, Christy, in the closing? In the, in the garden. Beautiful singer, beautiful harpist. He even let Christy uh, play the harp for Jim too on a couple of, uh, you know, pianists can do it, guitarists I don't think can. But in Psalm 32, we're going to see what you might be familiar with, which is a very heartfelt poem, and it is considered a contemplation of David, but it's actually a response in correction of David. Notice what he says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. He heard from mouth of Nathan, who delivered as the voice of prophecy, the forgiveness of God, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. He imputes righteousness, and his desire is to forgive iniquity. And he does so not on our merit, not on our pleading, not on our good works. He does it because of Jesus Christ, who died for us to save us, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
David is actually penning an insight that he for a while was not able to say with authenticity or sincerity. He had deceived himself both in what he had done but also in what he didn't do. We know that what he did was commit the sin of adultery. We know that he committed the sin of murder. He coveted and endeavored to hide it. He hid his face from God, wouldn't reconcile with God, had violated the preemptive work of God to stop him from this. But this indicates that right now, as he's penning this, he's come to terms with his deceitfulness. As I'd quoted before, taken from John's epistle, one of the more powerful ones, the Apostle of Love, that he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we are those who can confess our sins. Now that's a great word. If you ask yourself how many people in your life have held you in judgment, not forgiven you for offense that perhaps indeed you are guilty of, it is a weight. It's a hard weight to bear. God, through his Son, has chosen to forgive us of all manner of sin. Jesus even said that all manner of sin is forgiven but one, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that is when a person, having been given truth, denies Jesus, denies giving his heart, her heart, their soul, their belief in faith to the Lord. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Some may say, well, is blaspheming the Holy Spirit ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit and convicting of us of sin? Can be. You and I will find out when we get to heaven. Everybody will have an audience with the Lord. The question is what line they'll be standing in. The line of judgment, the great white throne, judgment, or the Bema seat, the reward seat. Everyone will have an opportunity to be before the face of God on what it was they faced off with God. Did you come to me in the person and in the face of my only begotten Son? Jesus presides over that. So David, when we see this, has already had that opportunity not only of reflection, but of what we would call repentance. Why is repentance good? Well, like I've told you before in that example I cited, regeneration does happen. In other words, it's irrefutable. Regeneration happened in my arm. But the working out of that particular work of my arm, of my wound, is a life process. And that process, at any point in time, in which I no longer choose to work in the process, suspends the progress that I make. Any one of us, in the work of God, through His Holy Spirit, in regeneration, can suspend the progress of how well is it working for you? How are your feelings? Anybody that's wounded their nerves will describe the same feeling that another person who's had nerve injury describes. I can't feel. I can't sense what I once did. That's what sin does. That's what injuries to the neurological system does. We can no longer feel as once we did. And it's peculiar. 
some have greater severity of those kinds of predicaments. But it also speaks of what happens in the spirit. When the spirit speaks to us and we ignore him, our feelings become less than what God desires them to be so that change can authentically happen in our lives. And progress in what he once started in us is stalled. And so very often we say, I don't understand why I don't have the feelings that I once had for God or for the work, for the word, for the people in the church, for my family, for my, I don't understand my feelings. And God would say, well, sin separates you from me. Because of sin, God made it very clear to Adam that death would be the outcome. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. David knew that the consequence of his sin required lawfully an adjudication in which a pronouncement of death indeed could be imposed upon him. He knew it. Oh, he probably felt that governmentally being a king, he could thwart it, but he knew that his God, the God that he had stood before the nation of Israel representing from a very early age, having been, in my opinion, even tutored in the spirit by one such as great as Samuel who followed to the end of his life faithfully the dispatch of God's word. And David knew that he had been uniquely spared a consequence in which his very breath could have been taken. David will live out his life to what is called in scriptures the fullness of his life. But what we see right now is David with a refilling. In order to pen something like this with such honesty, that's called a refilling. Have you ever wondered why at times it's difficult to be honest with God? To be able to say the things you once would so easily flow in? And David would say, yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I deceived myself for almost an entire year. I did everything I could to hide, but I never did what I needed to do, which was to honestly come before the Lord and to hear. See, when Nathan did present in a parable what David had done, David, in one moment of anger, was able to see reflectively what he had done. And he was able to say, you got me. You got me. You said, I'm that man. I'm that man. God got me. He's spoken truth to me, and I cannot deny him any longer. When I kept silent, David says in verse 3, my bones, they grew old through my groanings all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. What's happening? This is a conviction of the Lord upon David, knowing better and knowing, really, in fact, that he had a God he could come to. We don't know necessarily what the transaction of the Lord would have been after these committings of David carnally, but David is able to cite in several occasions about the mercies, the multitude of God's mercies. Do you know what mercy means? Of course you do. It's not getting what you deserve. Every single person in this room has not received what we have deserved for violating God. That, in my opinion, 
brings a great sigh of relief to me. Have you ever recalled the things that you've done in your life in which you were spared from the consequence of that decision? And to me, I'm going, oh, wow, boy, man, God was merciful. And this is what David knew. David wouldn't necessarily be able to know fully how it would have transacted, how he, come, how he would have come to the Lord much earlier. But he is accepting ultimately of the consequence that has been voiced with regard to what God has said. Groanings all day long, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. This is confession. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you, notice this, forgave the iniquity of my sin. He really believes this. He doesn't doubt it. Poetically jots it down and sings it out. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall praise to you. What's the cause? The cause that he is able to bear testimony of the multitude of God's mercy. That's essentially what's being said. The way that you've turned my life around will affect others and how sin has infected them. They'll see that I came out of this because God came into me, didn't abandon me was faithful towards me, even when I was faithless. And that's the marvelous work of a testimony. You hear it. Sometimes there are past performances that are so, if you would, embarrassing. We could not imagine God ever wanting to have anything to do with us. But God would tell you it's precisely for the love I have for you. I will do just that. I will do justly. I will do my righteousness in you. You turning to me will be a testimony on behalf of me. Others will see it and they'll marvel because there's plenty of judgment to go around. The question is, God would say, but are you able to distribute grace, which does what? It abounds. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Paul pens that in his doctrine to the church in Rome. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Therefore, do we continue on in sin? God forbid that we should do so. So though grace abounds, we're not to be rubbing our hands saying, awesome, let's continue on in sin. But it might abound even more. Because what does that do? It violates what the Spirit has done. Been merciful to us, been gracious to us, the blood covering us. I don't like talking about the blood. God does. He's contrary to what we may say we don't like talking about. Because God, in being contrary to what we don't like to talk about, has dealt with sin, contrary to what its penalty requires. That's how good God is, shall be, has never turned from. That's our testimony, a great and gracious, good God. Surely in a flood of great waters, 
They shall not come near him. You are my hiding place, a great song taken from this. And you shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And in verse 8, David says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. He pens this as the Lord is authoring through his hand. I will guide you with my eye. I like that. I saw the eye of my brother opened and it was looking right at me. I will guide you with my eye. Very touching, very sentimental. Do not be, he closes, like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It is a very deep poem, and David writes it from the bottom of his heart. And it's one that we are able to cherish for perhaps our weary hearts, deflated hearts, confused minds, you know, our emotions, our feelings. One coming up after the service said, it's that thing. I can't hide from the thing. The thing has had me for years. I'm aware of the thing. You'd have to catch that teaching to know the emphasis. But that was a work of the spirit and the response was, I can't handle the thing anymore in my life. I need to share this thing with you and to have prayer from you, from others. Would you listen to me? Would you pray for me? The thing has me. It does. At any time it can have us. The thing is, that's not God's thing. But notice this as well on an emphasized word, and I want to take you there correctly because I think it has pertinence to us. Because God gets the blame very often for the thing that gets us. Very often we criticize God for what's happened to us. Very often it's not because of God, it's because of the thing. And it's because of the fact that there is a payback. That sin ultimately will transact in our lives. Hop over if you would quickly. I know that we marked Psalm 52, but go to... Jeremiah 2.19. And this is what the Lord wants you to know if you've ever been blaming God in your predicament, in the fallout of the failure. Verse 19 says in Jeremiah chapter 2, your own wickedness will correct you and your backsliding will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. What did David ultimately discover? 
he discovered that in his hiding and in what would be called the deceit of the heart, desperately wicked, he came to terms with it. And he did not blame God. Rather, he asked and implored God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, that's a beautiful statement. What happens is the enemy delights when the believer who has fallen chooses not to get up and chooses not to face off with God, but rather turn their back on God and take their face in a culture that does not want to know God. It's a very, very encouraging word. But here's another one that I want to bring you to as well. Because some would say, okay, you've talked about mercy, but why is it that though I can acknowledge I certainly was spared, what's this work of grace? How does that play into my life? Remember, grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy being spared from what you do deserve. How does it work? So in Isaiah chapter 30, you'll go back and the precise verse that I want you to be able to look at is the 18th verse. Isaiah 30, 18. And this might help explain right now what's going on in this outpouring of the Spirit and in this waiting that you're in. Therefore, verse 18, Isaiah chapter 30, I will wait that he may be gracious to you. Therefore, what? The Lord. You just said, therefore, I. Are you willing to wait for what the Lord has just told us? That he waits. Waits for what? Therefore, the Lord will wait, that he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. This is speaking of the patience of God. As you are taking time to consider the things of God, a lot of times people wait a long time to consider the things of God and why things aren't happening faster with God. I was one of those guys. I don't know why, don't have an answer for you, but I'd say what I could have done at 16, which you're seeing a lot of our young people do, up until now their early 20s, I did not do until my early 30s. Don't know why. Seems to me something had a better offer, something had a better grip, not because God let go of me, I let go of God. And he was waiting to be gracious for me. Not to judge me, but to bless me. Was I not blessed? God is a blesser of people. Jesus would address and say that he reigns upon the just and the unjust. That's why sometimes we scratch our head going, how did that guy, that family, that community get blessed? Because God reigns. That means he gives sustenance from heaven to those who 
look to him and to those who ignore him and even blaspheme him. He's a good giver to everyone. No one's going to enter into heaven and be able to say, yeah, well, you weren't good to me, so I decided not to do any good for you. And the Lord will say, no good then can I do for you now. You made your decision. But I love this verse both coupled with this psalm because it's an encouragement. And very often what we can do is we can put our hands in our pocket and we're waiting for the rains and actually the Lord's saying, I'm just waiting it out with you. It's coming. It's there for you. You'll see it. I'm just waiting patiently for your response, Richard. Take you through some other seasons. And he did. Until 28,000 feet in the air, I said, Lord, get me down safely, and I will be yours completely. And he did. And he knew that an airplane would be that particular tool that would turn me on my face, a face that had not turned toward him. An airplane would get me on my face. And then the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Rich, you promised me that you would seek my face. Get out of the garden and come into my garden. And I did. No longer tomatoes and beans and all of these things interested me more than God came into his garden. But the Psalms right now paired up with these verses tell us that God's not to blame for whatever hardship we have gone through. Sin pays us back. It bankrupts us. God blesses us. Therefore, he pays things forward to us, not because we're good, but because Jesus, his son, made us good in his father's sight. And it's a marvelous thing. David, why did you choose to do that? Why do any of us choose to sin? Because we've got a choice. Every single day we have a choice. Shall I obey God or disobey? Because I want to, because I can, because nobody sees me. Maybe you've made it this week. A sinless life. Great, you're being perfected. But there very likely will come a time in which that perfect week you had will not be so perfect the next week. We move in and out of troughs and peaks of great victories and great defeats. The bottom line, can we walk with the Lord through the desert as well? Can we respond to the Lord? You know, that's, that's one of our comforts right now. And I'll tell you, is that as Jesus is ready to take my brother, may have happened, I don't know. I have the assurance of exactly where he's going. And I so appreciate his eye being opened on digital camera to look into my eye. Because I'm going, right on, Jim. He spoke truth to me in my life at 16. The simple truth was, Rich, what are you doing for the Lord? What are you doing? And so the eye that I saw was his eye, not his voice. But he was able to hear my voice, taking him through the scriptures. It was a good time with Jim. Just chatting with him, the scriptures, as he was laying there. So it came back to him. 
His word was exhortative. Rich, what are you doing for the Lord? Mine was comfort and encouragement. Jim, you're going to the Lord. You're going to the Lord. Move over to Psalm 52 and we close. And I want to close on this area right now. Uh, let me give one second of attention here. Fifty-one is where I want you to be. Pardon me. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold. You deserve truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me, again, you've heard this. A clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors the way, your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. And so this relating to obviously 2 Samuel as well, 32 as well that we read, and it is a beautiful narration to lead us into acknowledging the work that God has done in a young man's heart because he had heard the message of the gospel early and had, as I have heard him share, choosing simply not to deal with things. But he did. He did. Because there were people that collectively were linking beside him and he could not outrun God nor could he outrun the voice of truth. The Spirit of God just compelling him. And so one of the things that I want to be able to say to all of you is that when we see something like this, when we're witnessing this work, you know, that's an awesome time to celebrate what a man is willing to express before whom he now calls his brothers and sisters in the Lord, the family of God, and to go on record saying 
The Lord has dealt with me. I have found him to be merciful and gracious. I'm forgiven, and I want to be one who now goes publicly on record declaring that. 